ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do a quick uh, quick Q and A. I was going to say that'll get me demonetized. I don't monetize anything. So that was Romeo Santos and Frank Reyes with payasos, which means clowns. Somos dos payasos en un cerco de amor. We are two clowns in a circus of love. Today, I'm going to be answering the question that was posted last week on the community tab on my channel that got second place, which is how to let stuff go and get on with my life. Um, I'm running that same poll again. If you go to the community tab on the Spartan Life Coach YouTube channel, you'll see there's a poll where you can ask a question. And then based on the number of glowing pixelated thumbs that you receive, you like that, don't you? Um, You will be uh, answered in the sequence of the hierarchy. It's all about the hierarchy, eh? You've got to pick up your, your bloody burden and, you know, you've got to compete and become a monster and ask your damn question by bloody God. And then, my God, you've got to compete, bloody God. <laughs> so uh, this one was the second one, which was how to let stuff go and get on with your life. When it comes to the predominant subject of this channel, which is narcissistic abuse, either in a relationship, an intimate relationship with a partner, in your family relationships, or even at work. Um, and this is the difficult question, is how to let things go. So let's just acknowledge first and foremost that it's hard. It's very hard to let things go. You are talking about being both two things, both wounded in your most intimate space, in the space where the last layer of armor was removed. They talked you into removing that last layer of armor. And in your most intimate, vulnerable space, aggression was brought in. Hostility was brought in, where hostility and aggression do not belong into the most intimate and vulnerable spaces. And this hurt you. The second thing that was done, yay, is the blade which was used was poisoned. So if you survive the stabbing, the system itself remains damaged for a long time because it's poisonous. It's poisonous. What can we do and what um, is the effect of being traumatized and hurt in the place where you can love? Well, this actually turns your sense of reality upside down. It turns your whole perspective of who you are and what your life is upside down. It's extremely corrupting to the um, the software of, of the system. It's very, very damaging when that, when that happens. I released a video um, a week ago that was a clip from the seminar at UCLA that I did in June of this year, 2019, where I was uh, talking to a lady at the seminar who was talking about her recovery. And I said, you know, the first thing that we should do is probably admit to ourselves, to each other, and just say it out loud, like I've been really beaten up. I got really hurt. This really hurt me. This really damaged me. To be able to say that first and foremost, to be able to acknowledge that fully and completely and unflinchingly and say, I was hurt. I was um, wounded um, is very helpful, a very, very 
helpful thing to be able to say first and foremost rather than to be in denial about it say this really really hurt me this really really wounded me this has taken my time this has taken my energy this has taken my attention is it possible to just say okay that happened now let it go if we try to do that i think what you're going to end up with is a scenario where you're going to force um spiritual bypassing spiritual bypassing is where you don't really deal with your problems you don't really look at your problems you just gloss over them and you put like a plaster over the top of them with religious and and spiritual babble where you know you just create a false narrative that explains what happened within the context of a spiritual um cosmology we can do that with psychology too we can do that with therapeutic language we can do psycho babble bypassing we can say oh you know I have dealt with this, I have processed this, I went to this therapist, that therapist, and then we can tell ourselves that we've dealt with these things when we really haven't. This will happen because you know the truth. You know you can't be in denial of, of the truth of the situation, which is that you were very vulnerable, you were very, very hurt, and that perhaps you are still vulnerable. So the system prioritizes the human system the the entity that we are prioritizes safety above all else um you are a machine of survival long before you are a machine of happiness joy and contentment which is why people can go for years decades indeed lifetimes very depressed and very unhappy but still remain alive because survival has a much, much higher priority at the deepest, most pr primal levels of who you are than happiness, contentment, and joy. Surviving is a huge precedent over, is a, is a, a massively larger priority than thriving. If you don't feel safe, you won't move on because the, let's say, let us call it the unconscious, but it's that whatever part of yourself that is beyond the ego, that is beyond your story of who you are, that is beyond your idea of your of how you live, but is the truth of who you are, knows very well what happened. You can tell other people, you can lie to your coach, you can lie to your therapist, but you can't really lie to yourself without getting very, very sick. So a good starting point is to say, hey, this really damaged me. And number two would be to say, I am going to follow a discipline of rigorously telling myself the truth. You should be telling other people the truth. You should be as honest as possible, not because of some cheap morality, not because of some holier than now, you know, um, ideology that just, it makes you a better person. It does by the way, but that's not why you should do it. You should do it because everything else other than just telling the truth makes you worse and makes the world a worse place. Truth is really important. And every time you cut corners with the truth, bad things happen, not just to you, but to other people as well. So you should really, really try to be as honest as you can with yourself and as honest as you can with other people. So admit that it was bad, at least tell yourself the truth. And then you need to start working towards altering your life and altering who you are to the point where you can say, I feel safe. There's three things. This is what will cause you to be able to let it go. When you don't feel safe, you're unconscious. We'll call it the unconscious in the Freudian, Jungian sense. The whatever non-conscious part of you that's actually responsible for those 
elements of our behavior that we don't seem to be in conscious control of because we all know people who would say something like, hey, I want to lose weight, for example, and then continue to engage in behaviors that are the directional opposite of losing weight. Me, like that's that was me for years. I've, I've, I've lived through that uh, for a long period of life. So I said one thing, I set an intent at one level that was at the level of the consciousness, at the level of the ego, but the unconscious was doing something else. It was doing its own thing. Our work as we move forward, our uh, magna opus, our alchemical work moving forward, if we seek to develop it, to grow it, to strengthen it, should be around focusing on the unconscious because if it's not unconscious, it doesn't really stick. So we've got to get into the unconscious. How do we make ourselves feel safe? I propose a different model. I haven't given this a name. I've been playing with this idea um, in coaching for a long time, and it seems to work quite well. It came from an experience with a, a family member who was suffering from quite strong panic attacks. And I listened to her. She said, you know, do you mind talking to me about it? I said, you shouldn't really be talking to me. You should talk to a counselor, which she did as well. And the counselor was very good and helped her. Um, but I spoke to her. I did like a, an informal session with her. And she described the situation to me where she was feeling more and more anxious. She was living still, she was in her late 20s. She was still living in her mother's house. And the world that she was in, because of her anxiety, was getting smaller and smaller day by day and year by year. And the image that I had was that a part of her, a part of her, again, we'll call it the unconscious, an observer within her was looking at her and saying, hey, this is not going well. And if she keeps doing this day by day, week by week, month by month, and her world keeps getting smaller, she's frightened to go to the shops, she can't learn to drive, she can't, whatever it is, then the end result is gonna be really bad. Like she's going to have a bad life. So her unconscious was going, hey, system that we are in this human being, this could get really, really bad. Let's send signals that invoke a desire to change. What should those signals be? They should probably be agitation. They should probably be fear-ish, you know, because it's a warning. It's a signal that's going, hey, you're, you're heading towards an iceberg right now. You can't see it yet because it's still over the horizon. It's still five or six years away. But if you're doing this when you're 33, 34, you're going to be really, really unhappy. And it's going to be much harder. The first, It's like a golf swing, right? The small errors that you make here become huge errors as the ball flies further and further away down the, the green corridor, which is what it's called in golf. When you hear golf commentators, they say, look, the human has hit the ball. It has now flown down the green corridor. I've heard them say this many, many times. So the unconscious is watching us and it knows that things are not going well. And it's thinking or it's assessing what's this person's life going to be like if they keep doing this? Because your unconscious is you. You can fool other people. You can trick your therapist. You can trick your coach. You can trick your friends, your family. But it's just you and you with the unconscious. And it's looking at you and it's going, hey, Linda. Hi, Linda. If we keep doing this, it's going to get real bad. And you go, shut up, shut up, stupid unconscious with your agitating fear signals. Now I have anxiety and I need to take Zoloft, Xanax or something <laughs> just, to suppress, just to suppress this feeling because the feeling is wrong. 
if I have a feeling, then it's wrong, right? That's that's me mentally ill because I should be happy. Instead of just listening to it and going, okay, what's the signal? In a similar way, the unconscious is watching you right now. And if you want to feel safe, then you need to show yourself. You need to show you. You show you. You show your unconscious that you're a different person now, that you wouldn't let yourself be attacked like that again. And if you were attacked like that again, you would respond differently. When you've convinced the unconscious that you feel safe, the anxiety and the depression will lift and it will stop playing those old movies again and again and again. It's playing the old movies. So the person has said, the person has asked me, how do I let shit go and get on with my life? You're not. So if you're not, if you're like your experiences, I'm just not let shit. I just can't let shit go. Don't be mad at yourself. Assume that the system has a positive intent and the positive intent is focused towards safety. So it's saying, hey, Brian, you're not over this man. And the reason we're not letting you get over this man is because, Brian, you've not changed anything, man. You've not changed, Brian. You're right here doing the same silly shit. You're right here hanging around with the same people and attaching with other people in the same way that you were before. What's the quickest way to make yourself feel safe? from narcissistic abuse, it would be for you to change your way of being in the world, to engage in self-interested action, to overcome any codependent fawning tendencies you have, not through regressing into the mind, cerebralizing and intellectualizing everything, which is what psychology trains us to do. Unfortunately, it's like a, a, an unintended side effect of the framework of modern psychology is it trains us to, it's in me, it's an individual thing, it's in my mind and it's in my emotions. So no, just take different action, be a different person, slowly, over time, change. You can, you can. We're living in a, a cultural um, uh, sort of um, indoctrinated idea that the way you are is you, that you are your precious personality, you are your precious preferences about ice cream and politics it's nonsense total nonsense total fabrication and it doesn't serve you and it wasn't put there to serve you it was put there to enslave you it's a bad idea let it go you can change you can change in ways that are so different to who you are now it would stretch the limits of your imagination to think of the ways in which you could change you're massively responding to your environment your beliefs your values who you are massively about you responding to your environment and particularly your social environment. This is not a fun idea for people who are very attached to their favorite flavored ice cream, their political identity, their ego. It's all ego. It's all stuff. It's all ego stuff. If you're very attached to it, this is an extremely unpopular idea. We will see people getting triggered in the comments and being like, that's not true. That doesn't apply to me. You're gaslighting people. I always knew Richard Grannon was a narcissist abuser. Secretly, look at what he's doing, trying to help people and heal them. The son of a bitch. Son of bitch. Look him. He is bad man. You can change. And you should. You can change. You should. It's not that hard to make changes. It really isn't. Soften the belief. Soften the system and be open to change. Do things differently and you'll feel safer. So that means you don't have to always feel attracted to people who are some evil conglomerate representation of the worst psychic elements of your mother and father. You don't have to have it so that your nipples are only stiffened, only stiffened by bad people of dark intent who are highly manipulative. You can also 
change it so that you start to find people who are not that way inclined, attractive and nipple stiffening, nipple stiffening too. Nipple stiffening too, nipple stiffling, nipple stifling. Don't stifle my nipples, my nipples are free, okay? That's, that's the first boundary that you need to learn. And I hope somebody cuts that out from this YouTube video. <laughs> Post set goes, Richard Grannon lost his mind, lost his mind. Who wants to free our nipples now? I do, free them. You can change and you should. So admit that you were in pain, that you made a mistake, that it was painful, you're, you were vulnerable, you were open to it. Admit that it really hurt you and it really beat you up. Start to be following a discipline of supreme honesty with yourself, supreme honesty, supreme self-reflection and honesty with yourself. And then look to change, look to convince the unconscious that you're not that same person anymore. You wouldn't be attracted to people like that. You wouldn't put up with it anymore. You know, I look at the situations I was involved with, with my exes, and I think, why is this? Why is it? What was I trying to do? What was the effort that I was trying to do? Nobody put a gun to my head. Nobody forced me to do anything, but I was trying to do something. And to me, in my case, not in your case, I'm doing the unusual thing for me and reflecting something personally, and maybe it's true for some of you, is I think I was trying to conquer. I think I was, uh, did Noel Coward write a play called She Stoops to Conquer? I was think, I think through fawning and through submission, I was seeking to conquer the bad archetype, the bad mother, father archetype. I was trying to win them. I was trying to win love from people who were not interested in who I was as a human being. That's fundamentally more true than an entire textbook's worth of chat about narcissism, antisocial, histrionic, borderline personality disorders, and all of the research you could read. They fundamentally were not interested in me as a separate individual. It bored them. It bored them. They were not interested in me as a separate individual. They were only interested in me as an addition to their lives and their story. And you could say, well, that is narcissism. And I would say, yeah, but maybe sometimes when you come at it from a different flavor with different words, it can have a different effect and it can be more useful. That would be my advice for moving on. I'm going to answer another couple of questions that were already written, and then I will be answering uh, questions in the um, comments. Uh, okay, this one was from M.S. Maria. Therapists as covert narcissists. Mine abandoned me after 10 years after calling him out in a stonewalling, gaslighting, gaslighting, manipulative behavior. Many people don't believe that therapists can be narcissists. I filed a formal complaint against mine with recordings of, of his awful behavior. It exists. Um, I, I've, I've kind of avoided, uh, let me see if I can put that up and edit this one. Oh, I can only put some of it up. Okay, the question is, there you go. That's part of the, uh, of the question. So therapists as covert narcissists, therapists as overt narcissists. I, I avoid it because I don't, I'm not interested in creating um, like unnecessary drama. I think it's a cheap way of getting views and the algorithm rewards. Apparently, I found this out recently. It rewards people arguing in the comments on YouTube. Isn't that cheeky? So they count that as eyes on time. So if people, sorry, they reward comments. They reward comments. So if you can post a controversial video that causes people to argue extensively in the comments, your video gets elevated. So it's a, it's a temptation for many YouTube content providers to deliberately post controversial videos 
um, to induce arguing in the comments. So I kind of avoid that because I think it's icky. Um, and I do have a lot of therapists who follow me. I have counselors who, who follow me, who, you know, I'm in regular contact with uh, psychotherapists and, and counselors, um, have been for years. And so I don't want to play this game of like, oh, I'm the coach and therapists and counselors are full of shit because there's good people out there. However, it must be said, it must be said very clearly that therapists, there are covert or more rightly said, fragile, vulnerable narcissists who are therapists and counselors, absolutely. And there are simply more broadly people who are therapists and counselors who just shouldn't be doing that job for a multitude of reasons. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be master Yoda to hold the space for somebody and to help them make forward progress in, in, in therapy. But you need to be, you need to have your life together to a degree. You do need to have your life to, together to, to a, a higher than average degree because you're holding the space, to use the expression, for very vulnerable people. So my sanity needs to trump yours. My groundedness in reality needs to trump yours. And my map needs to trump yours. And if you can't, at the level where it's not a competition, but at the level where you're trying to make the client feel like they are in a safe space with a somewhat parental figure who is stable, who knows what's going on and can convey confidently that they're going to help them to heal. So there needs to be that there. And there are some people who just don't have it. So yes, there are narcissists, both grandiose and fragile, who work in therapy. And there are people who are just not anywhere near mentally well enough. I told somebody this year in, uh, in coaching when I was in California, um, I just told it to her face after we did a coaching session. I said, I don't think that you should choose a psychotherapist. I coached out of 30 people. I ended up coaching uh, like five or six psychotherapists. And I had to say to one of the clients, like, you shouldn't be doing one of the six. You shouldn't be doing psychotherapy with people. Not right now. She was furious, absolutely furious with me and pulled the route. She went the route of saying, I'm more qualified than you. I have a PhD and so on. And I was like, I, you absolutely are. I 100% agree with you, but at this point in your life, you're that emotionally dysregulated that there's no way that this isn't going to corrupt the process. It's not a game. It's not a game, and it's not a job. It's not a J-O-B job where you just turn up and it's like you're a tennis coach or something. You're just going to bang out how to do a serve. It's bomb disposal, and if you say one wrong thing, you can set that person back a long time you can re-traumatize them. It's very, very delicate work. And so the emotional state of the person leading it needs to be refined. The third and final question that I'm going to answer here before I get into um, your questions is unusual. Somebody posted, this was the third most popular question, which was unusual, unusual but unexpected facts. Interesting yet unexpected facts about Richard Granin. Um, I used to be able to speak Cantonese to a conversational level. Not to a great level, but to a conversational level. The first language I learned outside of English was Portuguese because I was raised in Portugal. And then I went to a boarding school at the age of 13 that looked a bit like Hogwarts from Harry Potter and was very, very um, religious and strict. Actually, quite, actually in the end, I uh, had a pretty good time there. I can't really think of anything else that's particularly interesting. Um, I was a martial arts instructor before I was uh, doing this. I had a, a, a big... YouTube channel and it was 
deleted. It got terminated by YouTube for being too violent. Some of you probably don't know that. That's what I was doing first. Spartan Life Coach comes from a martial arts channel. People say to me, what did you do? And I was like, if it was Japanese, I'd, I would have done it. The only Japanese art that I didn't spend a decent amount of time studying was sumo. But um, different styles of karate, judo, jiu-jitsu, ninjutsu, aikido. Um, I didn't do uh, kendo either. Um, i trying to think if there's anything else. I really love dancing. <laughs> I'm going to go to bachata after this. It's like my favorite thing to do. I love bachata music and I love to, to dance bachata. Not everybody knows that about me. That's enough on that section. I'm now going to answer uh, any questions that you want to post in the chat. How do you, how do you free the nipples? No. <laughs> Are you trying to get me in trouble? Nick Ripley, is stoicism effective? You can only ask if something is effective if you know what effect it is you're trying to generate. So if you tell me what your um, objective is, I'll, I'll let you know whether I think it's effective. Richard, I'm sacred. Hmm. I'm sacred. So am I. Of falling into old patterns if I return to my hometown. I'm also frustrated because I wasn't strong enough to stand up for myself, both mentally and physically. What do I do? I don't know, my friend. I don't know. Tell the truth. Be honest with yourself as much as you can. Um, if you are returning to your hometown and uh, that's that's the question and that's what you're worried about, then yeah, you should you should consider that it's potentially um, going to be a difficult. Um, maybe it's going to invoke old feelings and old traumas being there as well. So it's very important that you adhere to the advice I gave in the first part of the video about telling the truth, being honest with yourself, and seeking to change. That's the that's the the great work. Your great work, your magnum opus will be change and not intellectual change to actually go out in the world and do new things and to be a different person and to embrace change and to not fear it, which is difficult as a human being. It's very difficult for us to not cling on to the past because change is, is not what we instinctively do. We instinctively repeat because repetition is safety. So does hypnotherapy work? Sure, it does. Yeah, of course. We're using it. All the time, all day, every day, you are already hypnotized to do certain things. And you probably unwittingly in your life have hypnotized other people to do things for you. Um, so, yeah, um, I can't guarantee every hypnotherapist is as wonderful as, you know, there's going to be a, a disparity in quality. But, yeah, absolutely, hypnotherapy works. Wowie, do you think current society has made men and women incompatible? I think we're at the tail end of a brainwashing campaign um to try and break um the, the bond between men and women but it's ending um it is already ending and it will end soon and uh, men and women will uh, come back to each other and um it will be a tremendous relief because we find so much uh comfort with each other and life is so much better um with companionship yin needs yang yang needs yin and um, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, yes, I'm happy to report that um, the enemy is taking tremendous losses now. And their losses are accelerating. And every mistake that they make is, is just clangs more loudly into the echo chamber, reminding everyone um, of their fault and their blame. And they're losing. And I look forward to the complete loss. And I look forward to people waking up to coming back to each other. And realizing they've been um, following like a, a poisonous and, and false ideology, a false doctrine that's done nothing but cause them pain. 
Um, so yeah, men and women are coming back to each other, and it's a it's a good thing. I see um, UG Rose is in the comments. Thank you for moderating, UG Rose. Oh, spicy, Esther Sarkowski. You must be joking. The hypnotherapy. No. Nope. Uh, why would a certain command that is not under your self control help you? Um, hypnotherapy is a consensual process between two adults um, who pre-agree what the objective of the session is. Um, and so the command is under your self-control. Rachel Fenical says, hi, Richard. Hello, Rachel. Nerdy by Nature says, is it possible to embody a well-balanced yin and yang within yourself? Like, am I a joke to you? Right here, dude. <laughs> yes, of course you can. Of course you can. Sarah Zarlenga says, I love men. I love men too. I mean, wait, I love them all. The men's, the women's, the people's. It's all good, man. There's a lot of good people out there. All the people's. All the conscious beings, even um, cows and um, dogs, they're localized conscious beings as well. And they're, they're cool. And uh, they're capable of love. They're capable of attaching. Like they'll miss you if you go away. It's amazing. Then Eliza Taylor says, traditional bachata is my favorite. I like Dominican bachata. That's my favorite. Hard to find a, a good instructor over the side though. Potent the rock star who makes good music. And you guys should go and check him out says, why does your videos and notifications continue to align directly with what's going on in my life at the time? Because you and I are one and we're on the same path. And that's why we're all here now, because there's no experience in the human experience that is not psychic. It's all psychic. This is a psychic moment we're all having. That's why. So when you get better and you feel better and you're more boundaried and you are thriving and you're healthy, then I am too. Hi, Rich. You lived in several countries. Which one was your favorite and why? Um, well, I'm a big, I'm a big, oh, I, I like Portugal. I like Spain. Um, New Zealand's a beautiful country. New Zealand's a really, really beautiful place. Good energy, good people, good food, good cider, and hobbits. I like that. Ank says, what do you mean by narc? I don't think I said that in this video. Um, I think they're, um, well, it could either be the people who go after drug dealers are called narcs. And um, in in Spanish, a narco would be like a, a drug a drug lord, like Pablo Escobar was a, was a narco. Hence the series was called Narcos. Plata o plomo. Plata o plomo. Omnia mutantur. How much of personality drive, extroversion, conscientiousness is consciously changeable? How do we accept traits that are less socially rewarding, assuming they're positive traits? That's a really good question. Um, at this particular point in my life, um, I would say that um, I'm not convinced of the fixity of personality traits at all. Wait, I've never been convinced of it. I've always been in the position. I'm not like a genetics equals personality traits guy mainly because there's no, there's precisely zero scientific evidence for that. Um, and I'm not saying that genes don't impact character. Uh, we would, in order to proceed with that debate, we'd need to get into the icky sticky waters um, of um, philosophy, the philosophy in which all psychology is rooted and probably should return to. Uh, psychology works much better as a branch of philosophy than it does as a discrete um, scientific discipline. It makes a fool of itself as a scientific discipline, in my humble opinion. So personality traits, man, 
you'd have to convince me that they actually really exist. You'd have to convince me that they really exist as discrete elements that are fixed and durable and that don't change with social context and that would exist if you were raised on a desert island. And um, so much of the story that we tell ourselves, I mean, that, that's literally that's literally the story of the ego. Uh, the ego narrative, the ego story is introversion, extroversion, conscientiousness, non-conscientiousness, personality traits. And at, the, at this precise moment in time, you're talking to a man who doesn't believe that any of it is fixed. Donna Emerald says, wow, that's an interesting perspective about personality traits. Yes, not a very popular one. It's the kind of thing that sends people into the stratosphere. Um, but I, I'm just not I'm just not a fan, man. I get into that. You're into genetic determinism, and then you start saying things like people with a certain skin tonality have a propensity to have this personality trait. It's pretty racist. So yeah, I don't I I'm not I've never been a big, big believer in it. And to date, there's no scientific evidence for it. But we're also we all just feel like it should be. And that it would be. And so it exists as this kind of group superstition. I have come from the year 3000 for a short time. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. How is the future? Ritu Chowdhury says, now that I have got you here, please answer my question. I will gladly. Probably should have reposted it. What zodiac sign are you? Says Odelia. I am Piscas. On the cusp with Aries. I'm a fishy ram. Shana McDowell says, serious question. Shana, when you ask me a question that starts with serious question, I know that the question is not going to be serious. I've cracked the code. Why is everyone bringing up Jordan Peterson? I haven't actually seen anybody bring up Jordan Peterson. I was probably watching the, uh, the, the comments more carefully. Bonnie, 5317. Richard, from being a coach, do you get triggered at all from some of these questions? Uh, not usually, but I mean, that is why I stopped coaching. Um, so I would find it extremely difficult um, and probably sometimes it would make me physically sick if I was coaching people um, and we were doing you know asking questions about around certain key topics and um, I could find myself getting very sick which is why I don't really coach anymore at all questions on the internet there's a there's a there's quite a big barrier so um, it doesn't, doesn't particularly bother me uh, how was the ayahuasca weekend um, it was very insightful, very tiring, very, very bad in some ways, really bad in some ways, and really, really great in some ways. Um, I would like to talk about it. I'm not quite ready to just yet. Um, I need to still sort through the experience. Oops. How does one get on from stalkers? I don't know what that means. Sorry. Do you think that codependence can bring out the narcissistic tendencies in others? Um no, but I've heard that accusation before. I, I think it's silly. Um, it's not that codependents bring out the narcissistic tendencies in others. That's an abrogation of responsibility on the behalf of the narcissistic type. Codependents permit narcissistic behavior far more than a non-codependent would, which just means that we're not the fawning people please a codependent type is not drawing a boundary as quickly as a, a non-fawning type would. Anna has asked the question, did you abandon the idea of retreats? No. And after the ayahuasca weekend, I realized that they're very necessary. Um, there are going to have to be changes coming to this channel. There are changes coming to Spartan Life Coach. There are things that I um, have left undone that must be done 
um, that will allow me to serve the people who are following me, um, following what I do better, more efficiently. And I plan to get that done. And then I imagine that's going to take me through from now, December, January, February, March, because I don't like to you know, overestimate how quickly new things can get put in place. They usually take a lot longer than you think. Um, and then I would look at retreats again. I don't really want to do them, but I kind of feel like they're necessary. Um, and I would be interested to see what can be done inside of a four or five day retreat with people. But after the ayahuasca weekend, I realized one little thing that I would be happy to share with everyone here for now from that experience is I had a tremendous insight um, into how very lost people are. Very, very, very lost people are. And you have very, very, very lost people pretending to know what they're doing um, and pretending to, they're just pretending. They're just like their kids role-playing a game. And it's fine to role-play. It's fine to play games. But when you say to another human being who's vulnerable and needs help, follow me, I know where to go because you enjoy playing the role of being the person who is followed, but you actually don't have a fucking clue where you're going. You're playing a really dangerous game. You're doing nothing more than gratifying your ego and you're generating some extremely heavy karma. Um, ego was a, a major theme that came up and just how like she made me uh, very sensitive to my own needs, very aware of, of like how actually I'm quite a sensitive person myself. And then she made me very, very aware of how incredibly lost people are right now. And I was, I was shocked. There were good parts of it. There were bad parts of it. There was funny moments there. It was really like she told me jokes and I was laughing. I can't remember them all, unfortunately. Um, but uh, she told me, like, she said, you don't, you don't realize how lost people are. So I would do retreats because I would like to see that balance being redressed. And I'd like to see people getting past bullshit, games, and ego, and just back to themselves. You have tremendous agency. You have tremendous agency. You have tremendous power. Tremendous. But I'm sort of assuming that you kind of know that. So I had a lot of my assumptions like smashed. I was like, oh, people know that. People know that they can. And, I'm, and then it was like, no, they, no, they don't. No, no, dude. They don't know that. They don't know that. They don't know what they can and can't do. They don't know. And so that was a, a running theme. So that is something that I'd like to cover in some retreats. And if I have very moderate expectations for it because I'm only one person and I can only probably over a six-month period, realistically, the most I would have the, the psychic capacity for would be six retreats. And I wouldn't take more than five people per retreat. So it's going to be, that's six times five. That's 30 people over the course of six months. It's not much. Um, but... I can only do what I can do and I can't do more than that. So, so yeah, I'm going to do it. Absolutely want to. Is your birthday close to Zizek's? I don't know, actually. I've no idea when Zizek's birthday is. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a Pisces, though. Wouldn't be surprised at all. This is complete nonsense. The configuration of the stars, it's meaningless. This is ideology at its purest or what? Oh, in your professional opinion... I'm not a clinician. I'm just a life coach. I have a degree in psychology. And before this, I was a self-defense instructor whose psychology materials were popular. So when we say professional opinion, let's be really friggin' careful. I don't have a PhD. 
I don't have a master's. I have a bachelor of science degree. <sighs> In your professional opinion, do you believe Jordan Peterson might have narcissistic tendencies? I have no idea. I have no idea. I know that at the moment he's not doing very well um, and I wished him well. And um, I think he's a very important voice and he's a very intelligent man and he has a lot to say. And um, I hope he makes a full recovery. And I hope he continues to speak because I love listening to him and I get a lot from it. People have this team mentality now. You're either on the red team or the blue team, the red or the blue. Look, it's right there. The red team or the blue team, I hate it. I want to be able to say that I'm heavily critical of some of the things that Jordan Peterson says and does, but I still listen to him without people going, oh, and have it, you know, the fembot, the fembot from Austin Powers. They're like, oh, and the smoke starts coming out their ears. That shouldn't make you have a fembot breakdown. That shouldn't make people have this robot. Like, I'm really critical of some of the things that he's done and said. And I want to listen to him. I hope he keeps going. I really do. Um, narcissistic tendencies, how much, like, you know, somebody gets up in public and they put themselves forward and they say, hey, I've got an idea. And everybody's going to jump up and down and say, hey, this person is is uh, is narcissistic. And maybe they do. But then who's who's grading it? This researcher says that. That researcher says this. Are we, you know, are we furthering some sort of weird ideological orthodoxy where you can pass or fail a purity test? Are you pure? Am I pure? Am I free from sin? Let him without sin cast the first stone. I, I don't know. I don't know. I hope he uh, makes a full recovery and comes back. Everything okay. We have coffee. I wish it was earlier in the day. I would enjoy a coffee with you. But for me, it's too late. <clears throat> I'm too sensitive. Anything after three o'clock, I drink a coffee and I'll just be awake at night thinking about nonsense. <clears throat> Jeff Watkins says, he who is flawed is fake. Oh, he who is not flawed is fake. Lol. Phil says, I'm not sure that someone with full-blown narcissism would be so quick to admit defeat and show emotion. Yeah, I mean, good point. Good point. How was Switzerland? I love that. Beautiful country. Very strange and unusual um, place. And I really liked it. I really, I didn't see much more than Geneva. And then I went out into the countryside from Geneva. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic. To be in a city and you're in a normal city and everything is just like a regular city. It's like, this could be Barcelona. This could be Madrid. This, this could be Prague. And then you just like look in between the, the shops and in between the um, apartment blocks. And then there's the Alps in the back. It's incredible. It's beautiful. I wish Jordan the best too. Thanks for the answer, Richard. No problem at all. If we take off our socks, do we stop being people? That's a good question. I mean, I think you still are a person, but somebody, a few people posted comments when I kept on going on about socks and they're like, I never wear socks. I'm like, you're monsters, monsters, degenerates, total degenerates. <laughs> Just nakedly flopping your foot hands around on the floor. <laughs> monsters, monsters. Um, okay, Dolly asks, uh, can you feel the energy quickly from a narcissist or are they hard for you to detect right away? I wanted to release a video called No New Narcissists at the beginning of this year where I was like, I don't think there's been any new people come into my life that I would say have MPD um, for a while. Um, I've seen people and, and I can see narcissistic traits. Um, I had a very difficult experience with a lady um, last weekend. I went to a bachata thing and um, 
she was she was an attractive lady uh my age and she just she was one of the instructors she was like i'm having you and i went you're not that didn't go for them very well <laughs> so her energy her demeanor when she was communicating with me shifted over the course of because of, i really am just there to to learn i hate the pretend dating scene that goes behind social dancing i can't abide it because it to me it feels completely dishonest so like i'm there to dance and i want you to i want you to dance i want you to have a nice time i want you to smile i want you to feel good i will be nice i will be polite i really do want everybody to feel good but this dating thing is not is not for me so that provoked something in her that became over the course of actually it was actually two and a half hours and i eventually left it became quite ugly it became quite ugly um because she became bullying which you can do i mean i was an instructor for years so when dance instructors i'm not a dance coach i'm not a dancer this is fairly i've only been doing it for about four years when they try to run game on me i've worked with coaches i've had coaches i've instructed people to coach martial arts so i know every trick in the book and there's a way of um coaching people that you can even if they're okay to erode their confidence and uh, there's a word in dutch um i can't remember it it, but translated it means uh, you're an ant fucker so the dutch as an insult will call people ant fuckers and an ant fucker means that you're just nitpicking every single this is just and and i her her aggression got more and more it was a three it was due to be a three-hour seminar and after two and a half hours i was like okay uh, i'll leave i'm just i'm just gonna leave now are you gonna ask me oh so she was npd and i would say i really don't know i've never met her before it could have been just incredibly a triggering scenario for her it could have been like it certainly was a narcissistic defense but that doesn't mean it's npd um but it you know you talk about energy it was so ugly and it was getting worse so every time um she would come over she would become more denigrating more insulting more offensive and after you know i've i've still got knee problems after two and a half hours of dancing my knee is swelling up it hurts and i'm like i'd already trained that day and my state was like going down because basically it was bullying which is you know and i was just like okay it's it's definitely definitely time for me to bounce out of the situation right now uh, but generally speaking i don't i don't feel it i don't see it it's not really a part of my reality there's nowhere for npd types to feature in 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 my world there's nothing they can't there's no slot here for them and maybe um maybe that's what gets them all cross wow not attractive it was very strange i mean it's like you know as a as a as a guy interested in women it was a a noteworthy it's a it's it goes in the it goes in the book it goes in the memoirs like i had a weird experience once that was like that was like this um definitely not a woman used to uh hearing no i didn't actually say no i just didn't want it there i just didn't want it in the class had she been had she had the best thing she could have done is to calibrated from me and mirrored me is a little bit of nlp and communication skills and and also like dating skills what i was hoping was that she would get from me oh i i don't think she was czech i think she was russian and there's a big difference culturally between czech and russian if she had calibrated from me this guy is a is a brit 
but he's a bit of a he's a bit of a frosty Brit, and he's just here to dance. I will pull back and I will be polite and professional with him. And had she done that, I then would have been more interested with her because I would have been like, oh, you have the social intelligence to read what I'm sending you back, and you have the patience to wait. Let's <laughs> Hey, a chat up tip. Well, hey, let's do chat up tips. Yeah, yeah. Go into a good state. Look at the person. See what energy they're giving you. It's all energy, man. It's all psychic, right? So you want them to feel good and you don't want to be like, you know, come on, hey, <laughs> all grumpy with them. A frosty Brit. Hey, what do you, hey, oh, she was Russian. <laughs> I'm only going to let you get away with that because you are Russian. <laughs> I don't think I'm I just like the, the culture is very, very different. The culture is different because they're so much more generally speaking. Uh, now, back to other things. How badly can a brain be changed by decades of neglect and abuse? I must be honest with you, comrade. I have not fulfilled my um, proper duties here and read the academic research. I think this year I have read a total of no, it's more than seven. I said seven in another. It's, it's, it's more than seven, but it's not more than like 12 or 13. And it was for a talk I was doing that was about uh, social media and, and mental health. I'm not up on, on the data. Um, but I do know from a paper that I read probably in 2014, which is five years ago now, uh, that it, that uh, the, one of the brain changes that, we, that, that, that can be tracked is the shrinking of the um, hippocampus. It actually uh, diminishes in volume. Um, now, they don't know exactly what it does, but there was a suggestion that it might relate to memory and emotion and the appropriate apportioning of emotion to memory. So people who have strong PTSD, which is always comorbid with CPSD in the way that CPTSD is always comorbid with PTSD, if you have a strongly traumatized person, what do we find? Somebody who struggles with memory and struggles to allocate the appropriate emotion and the appropriate amount to different social scenarios, true or false. I mean, it's almost like you could almost say that's a, that's a symptom of, of PTSD and CPTSD is like the emotional dysregulation, inappropriate emotions at inappropriate times. So, um, and memory issues. Sometimes the memories are really strong and we can remember things very clearly. And sometimes we're very absent-minded and dissociated and we don't remember so well. So that's one thing that, that can change in a way that is, um, uh, scientifically observable shazzy says i was just talking about abuse amnesia it's not my speciality but i uh, i know that much i have just finished reading the body keeps the score it's really good at explaining what trauma and abuse does to the brain and nervous system and gives helpful advice yeah yeah i i just really really like um that writer and every time i read like a quote or a paragraph from him, I'm just going, yes, yes, yes. It's like reading quotes and paragraphs from Gabor Mate or Pete Walker. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. What kind of energy can you feel in the Czech Republic? I feel a strong desire to hide. <laughs> I feel the energy is like I want to be in my shell. And then when I get in my shell, I'm going to whisper quietly. So no reason. <laughs> um, watching people do bachata here at I need to go soon. Speaking of, is is um is fun um in a uh, what's it called in German? Is it Schaden Schadenfreude in a sort of sadistic way? Because when you have people who are critic, it's not all all Czechs. It's um people from uh, Slovakia and the surrounding countries. And it's generally it's a little bit more conservative, a little bit quieter. But that moment where the teacher says, 
Okay, we're, we're, we're going to, this is the move. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to start simple and then we'll add to it and it's going to become more complex. All right, uh, guys, um, uh, grab a partner. They just, they just grab a partner. And I'm like, apparently it's quite hard to walk over to a goal and do this because that's all you have to do. You don't even have to talk. You just smile and you present your hand. And if she takes it, that means that she consents to dancing with you. That's it. And I feel their pain. Like the, the guys hate it. They hate it. They need to be told like, this is who you are dancing with. It is okay. This is okay. Um, you may, you may. I, in fact, no, you must submit to the higher authority that tells you this is the goal that you're dancing with. Um, painfully shy, painfully, painfully shy culture, uh, generally speaking, um, from, from, from the men. But then if you know the history, you know why that is. Um, you know, extremely oppressive regime until very recently. And people ratting each other out and turning each other in and lives getting turned upside down and, you know, the, the very real prospect of having your life completely ruined. And by ruined, it's not like, oh, I'm deplatformed. It's you, you could be facing imprisonment, torture and death. Um, so the desire, if we're raised in an environment with highly abusive parents, we, we shrink and a bit quiet because if you shout or you're noticed, you could be pulled out of the line and it could be you next. So um, doing bachata here is a really strange experience. Also, the style that they do here, it, it gets into the movement. So they don't, there's no flamboyance. There's no movement. So I've been doing it. Well, I've done, I've done it all over. I've done it in the Dominican. I've done it in all kinds of different places with different teachers. But my last two teachers in Liverpool, um, there's a guy from Manchester called Martin Martinez and then a guy from Liverpool called, called John Piello. And uh, they're both sensual. But they're pretty, they're pretty, they have their own unique thing going on. And I just picked up bits from them and they don't like it here. They don't like anything that is like flamboyant or, or, or showy at all. So it's bachata, but it's very polite and it's very small and it's very delicate. And there's no, you know, it's like, oh, okay. okay, I guess I'll do it. Your guys' ways is. <laughs> Are there enough partners to dance in your bachata class? I've been, and there were always too few men. Girls had to dance with each other. Um, it depends. I've had it both ways. Um, this one that I'm going to tonight, last time there was too many men. So I was a lady. They were appalled by that as well. I was like, so? Just lead me. <laughs> if Frosty Brit was a cocktail, what would the ingredients be? One of them would have to be gin if it was mine. And the other one would be that, that elderflower uh, liqueur. I like that. Oof. On the political spectrum, do you swing towards Corbyn or Johnson? Ooh. Yuck. Yuck. Um, I would prefer not to. I think I'd just leave it at that. Uh, maybe men there have forgotten how to lead with their heart or lack of sentience. Well, it's, I mean, you know, like I've got some Slavic blood in me, according to the DNA test that I did. I don't think in this part of the world, like that kind of thing is, it comes naturally. It's not like part of the culture. It's pretty weird and um, sort of be, be that, that way. It's something you, you kind of have to learn, but yeah, there's, there's, there's other, there's other cultural factors for sure. Um, I really, really like it because, you know, dancing to music, whatever the music is, whatever the style is, it immediately puts you back in your body. And for people who've experienced trauma, I think that's very, very important and very, very useful to get back into the body. Um, it will put you in a good mood very, very rapidly in a way that very few things in life will. 
Um, you'll feel good. You're back in your body. Um, there is structure. There are boundaries. There are rules. And it's it's just really good fun. And uh, it's, it would be a, a rare dance where you didn't smile or you didn't laugh. So I, I really, really like it. Uh, do you find yourself self-censoring with your conspiracy theories on the world without sounding too crazy to most? Curious. No, not really. I just um, I don't want to push too much of it on people in, in a place where they don't really want it because it's it's unfair and it's off-putting. Um, I think if I really wanted to talk a lot more about my own ideas, um, you know, which are not there are there are things that I know that are actual conspiracies. So that's not a conspiracy theory. And then there are things that are like hypotheses of, of what seems to be the case. But if I wanted to do that, I feel like the best thing to do would be to create a different channel for that. So self-censoring, I'm more likely to self-censor on the conspiracy theory. No, I'd be more likely to self-censor on issues of spirituality because, yeah, my beliefs are just probably a bit too much uh, for most people. Chandra says, what prompted you to come back online before January? Thrilled to see you, but surprised. What made you think I wasn't going to come back on before January, Chandra? Last year, uh, 2018, December, I took a month off social media through through December. But that was that was last year. Um, so I don't know, don't know what you mean. Um, Ella says, why is spirituality so important to people healing who have lived through trauma? Uh I, I actually don't, I think it is, but it's not necessarily spirituality. What you need post-trauma is a major shift in your map of reality. So if it's not spirituality, it would need to be a philosophy that's so all-encompassing, it scoops as much of your map of reality up as a full spiritual revelation would. So it's about altering your map to match the new world that you live in. Because when you're traumatized, you move from an old world to a new world. And those who make it make the transition, um, and those who don't just can't just can't do the transition. I mean, perhaps that's something. To, leading back to the first question, how to move on is the radical acceptance of a new reality. There's no going back. There's no going back. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard. You can't undo what's been done because there's no such thing as a time machine. And so there is an acceptance element to it, um, and spirituality philosophy good combination of both perhaps uh, can help us with that process with sal and this will probably be one of the last two questions i do uh, do you think the concept of twin flames is misleading a lot of people making people see trauma and abuse as something healthy and spiritual um i'm only vaguely aware of what the twin flame concept is there was a, a particular there was a there was a, a guy i used to work with and hang around with and he was big on the twin twin flame thing and um there was a, a group that he was heavily associated with in America that unified religions. And I think the twin flame theory comes from them or idea, the, the idea of the twin flames. They had a chant. I am a being of lilac fire. I am a being of lilac fire. I am the purity God desires was, was the particular chant. So if you Google that, I am a being of lilac fire. I am the purity God desires. You'll find who this group is. And they have a definition of it. Um, I think anything pair bonding, right, is this thing that you do in life that has the significance of birth, death, and having kids. And with pair bonding, birth, death, and having kids are on the table. It's a very heady brew. It's a very strong brew emotionally and hormonally and psychologically. 
And so I'm very careful with narratives built around this issue. Very careful, very suspicious. Um, and my policy now would be, as I was talking about beginning of this year, I don't know if you were around for the beginning of this year, I was talking a lot about storylessness. Where love and pair bonding is concerned, I think it's quite useful, quite healthy and quite safe to bring yourself to storylessness because of hormonal reasons and cultural reasons. The culture reflects the hormones and vice versa. Once you start looking at a potential partner, the temptation to sink into some crazy fucking story about who they are, who you are with them, your story together. Oh, it's like, it's so strong and it's not good. I don't think, I don't think because it's, it's bullshit. I mean, it's not, it's where people start like, you know, yes, my husband, he's a narcissistic psychopath, but he's my twin flame. And I was his mother in a past life and I abandoned him. So in this life, I can never leave him. I've had people say stuff like that to me, men and women. And I'll just go, okay, okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you on that. I can't fight you on that because it's, I don't have a foothold to even battle you on that. Like that's really out there. How you can't prove that that's the case, but you believe it. So how am I going to be, begin to disprove that it's the case? So uh, yeah, it's um, it's not great. And I think anything that that causes people to see trauma and abuse as something healthy or spiritual is really dangerous. It was uh, it came up in one of the seminars at UCLA. I think I posted a clip about it, and I asked the lady who came to me as a coaching client before the seminar, I said, can I talk about this in the seminar and on YouTube? And she said, as long as you don't name me, you can. And uh, she said that she told me during coaching um, that she felt like remaining in a narcissistically abusive relationship was the best thing for her spiritually because it caused her to write a lot of notes and to explore who she was as a person. And I was like, that's not, no, you don't stay in an unpleasant, toxic, hurtful situation because of some perverse, upside-down ideology that tells you that suffering in and of itself, in and of itself, is intrinsically enlightening, when that's blatantly not the case. We can see that suffering in and of itself doesn't always bring enlightenment. Sometimes it brings perversion. Sometimes it brings a total twisting of, of, of the human mind and the human heart. So, uh, so yeah, Laura says of her partner, Charlie. We have a big, strong, real good story because we make it up ourselves every day. That's good, that's good. I'm glad that you two um, that you two found each other. Somebody else has written, is it safe to go out shopping on Black Friday? <laughs> Don't know. Alyssa has a much stronger view of the twin flame thing. You'll waste your whole life falling into those beliefs of twin flames. It's a bit like, um, not soul partner, soulmate, soulmate. Twin flames equals yin-yang. Your twin exposes the areas in need of being addressed. It's not an easy relationship, but it is about growth. Jeff Watkins says, seeing trauma is helpful. Oy vey. Through suffering, we find truth, but it was right. It stimulates growth if it doesn't kill you. Lol. Learn to turn your fears into good ego. Shelley says, Richie, ancient concept that a soul was split and you can be seeking the other have a twin flame. I agree, though, that too often in the society we live in, people tend to get... Yeah, I um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be damned for investing in an ancient concept that a soul is split and that you need the other to address the darkness and you. It's just a fucking other shaved monkey in socks. It's not. It's just a person. 
It's just a person. And if you can live with that, then you can have a stable long-term relationship. That's just another person. They're not God. They're not goddess. They're not mummy. They're not daddy. They're not the soul's darkness of the night, of the quest, of the never-ending great spirit of Nahubahu. It's just some fucking dude or some fucking dudette. And, you know, their back hurts and the socks are dirty and they need to top up their fucking mobile phone, isn't to say. <laughs> I think imbuing things or people with uh, powers or significance that they don't have is, is, is in Freudian psychology, I think, is what fetishism is. So you can have object fetishism where you imbue just a physical object with power, but maybe you can have people fetishism where you imbue people with with power, maybe that's an element of uh, projection and projective identification, a uh, fetishizing of of fetish, not in the sexual fetish, but um, you know, like if I go, if I'm a witch doctor and I go, this is my magic iPhone. Oh, 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 oh. That, that's like it's this, that's the iPhone of my ancestors. And if I tap you on the head, then the ancestors, are, hello, the ancestors send you a WhatsApp, and it's one of the band emojis now, the peach. And the, the eggplant, they'll just send you rude emojis <laughs> to try and get you banned off WhatsApp because your ancestors are dicks and, and they're funny. They're, hell, they're hella funny, yo. They just want to have a laugh. <laughs> I spoke to my ancestors. Oh, yeah? Yeah, man. The dicks. They got me banned from WhatsApp. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't... I, I, it sounds like... May I, may I say this? It sounds like a narcissistic fantasy. Um, and what I mean is not that it is the fantasy of a narcissist. No, because you're not a narcissist. But narcissistic in, in Freud's original sense um, was just the state of a child. It was an infantile state where the world is uh, mythology. Mythology is real. Psychic experiences are real. Spiritual experiences are real. But some of them are false. And drawing the distinction between the two requires a great degree of emotional maturity and a lot of discipline and a lot of grounding. And then even when you have a real psychic experience, it's then a case of how do you file it? What do you do with it? Because you still have to get up and put your socks on. You still have to pay your phone bill because that is your dharma. And that's your that's spiritual. That's I'm wearing an Adidas hoodie. It's branded, it's probably, you know, made in misery and suffering somewhere in some other country underneath it this is from thailand actually these are mass produced i wear this when i'm doing muay thai it's all completely corporeal secular pedestrian quotidian and of this world and yet at the same time it cannot not be spiritual because though my feet are on the ground and my head is not in the clouds i don't let go of the fact that no matter what it is i'm a spiritual being having a human experience spirituality that whole and psychic the psychic spiritual world i want to talk about it after my ayahuasca experience i have to talk about it there is great 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 darkness there not the darkness of demons just the darkness of the human ego just the darkness of the human ego because in those environments where there's vagary and boundarylessness and potential and imagination and emotion People's egos just balloon because nobody's initiating anybody. There's no wise elder to go, shut up, kid. No, no, you're not. I've seen an angel. He told me I'm the next prophet. No, shut up. No, you're not. 
get back to your meditation, which is what the 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 nuns, the monks, the abbotess, the abbot, supposed in the in the Zen tradition and in the Chan tradition, that's what they're supposed to do. But there's nobody doing that now. So you've got a bunch of idiots running around, just jerking each other off and jerking their own ego cocks off, going, oh, I'm enlightened. I've been speaking to spirits and I know more than you. The whole purpose of this is so I can be better than everybody else. It's like, fuck's sake, kid, would you stop? There's so much of that. So you gotta, you got you to gotta keep your feet on the ground. You're not special. Your partner's not special. You were not selected. They weren't selected. Soz. <laughs> but I love my twin flame story. Well, go ahead and love it then. Just keep it the fuck away from me because I'm going to take the piss out of you. <laughs> Listen, and I'm not even saying that souls might not get split and they might not meet each other later in life. It's just, it's just I've heard this story mouthed inauthentically by so many gingerbread latte sipping nitwits blatantly living some ego fantasy that now i'm just like shut up just shut the fuck up tie your shoelaces wipe your nose get on with your life you're not special okay you're no more special you're not sorry you are probably in your own way special but you're no more everybody's special everybody's special in their own way but you're not a unique snowflake like you're just a person can you live with that can you live with the idea that your partner is just a person? Is that good enough? Because if it isn't, and they have to be a twin flame, and you have to be reliving some karmic wank bubble, that's narcissism, yo. You, because it's not enough. Just give me the person. Just give me that, yeah, she's moody. You know, she has weird beliefs, and she's still growing, and she's still learning. And she's, I don't need her to be the next embodiment of Isis. I mean, the Egyptian goddess. I don't need her to be, you know, it's just a person is that is that not enough because if you look into yourself and only you know the honesty you only you have the truth of the answer is it enough that you're just a normal person or does that horrify and revolt you and cause you to experience a repulsion because that is a kind of a micro narcissistic rage i'm not just a normal person it's got to be no man it's fine it's fine in the same way that like if you've been some ayahuasca ceremonies your shit still stinks. You're not special. You're not. But there's so many people who are like, I smoked DMT. I did ayahuasca. My third eye popped open and now I see what. No, get the fuck out of here. Your breath still stinks. You still got toe jam under your fucking toenails. <laughs> and on that, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to go to Bachata. I'm going to dance with some shy people. I'm going to get hold of some shy men. I'm going to grab them. I'm going to get hold of a shy girl and I'm going to go, you two dance with each other. And I'm going to feel their shyness spike. And I'll be like, Spartan Life Coach, follow me on YouTube, SpartanLifeCoach.com. They'll be like, you're a dick and you've made us feel weird. Like, well, you're dancing now. You weren't dancing before. I didn't say my job was to make you feel good. I never said that. The idea is to help you to heal and to grow. And that's not always going to feel good. You know, it's like in the gym. You want to grow a muscle in the gym? Kind of sucks a little bit, like me. I kind of suck a little bit. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, sincerely, I thank you for your time and your attention. These are your most precious resources that you have, and you've offered them to me here today. And that was good of you. Um, I hope that it was time and attention well spent and that you learned something that you can apply. May you be well, and may you find some time to dance today. Cheers.